Bible reading tonight comes from Psalm 146 and I'm reading the whole psalm from verses 1 to 10. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, let's just put it in there. Yeah, I got it. Thanks. Uh, evening, evening. Um, my name is uh, Jamie. If you haven't met me, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we've been working our way through Psalms and we come right to the very end of our series. Uh, and it is a series that I hope has been uh, refreshing. Uh, I hope it's been a series that, a little bit like the doctors, when you go to the doctors, not all the time you, you come out going... Yes, that was awesome, um, unless you've got very different medical history to me. Uh, but hopefully you come out of the doctors going, that, that was helpful, that was helpful. And I hope that this series has been that and had weeks of that. We come right to the end now where we see ultimately uh, where it all comes to, where, where the story ends. Let me uh, read from a guy called David Wallace. David Wallace uh, was a writer. Uh, he is a professor at, well, was a university professor of English. He was uh, noted as one of the New York Times best writers. Here's, here's what David Wallace has to say. He said, In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Which is fascinating when you realise that David Wallace is not a Christian. In fact, he doesn't believe in God at all. And yet what he observes is as he reads things, as he watches things, and as he listens to things, is that everybody worships. That that there seems to be something in us that, that we cannot help ourselves but worship. To lift praise to something, to spend our lives on something. 
that we all, every morning, every day, wake up, and it's not a question of whether we will worship, but what or who will we worship? Because there's going to be something every day that we go, this is of supreme and significant value to us. He goes on to say this, and remember, he's not a Christian, not a believer. He says this, he says, The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing a deity to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Welcome to church. Uh, If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grave you. Worship power and you will feel weak and afraid and you will need, and you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at fascinating fascinating that this professor this writer this author recognizes this in us and i think it's true right you just need to go to a football stadium you will see stadiums full of of worshipers just need to turn on the radio you will hear plenty of songs about what it is we worship And our passage today is really all about who or what it is that we ought to worship. What is worthy of of our time, of our lives, of our praise. And is there someone, is there an object of our worship that won't eat us alive? That when we eat of it, we won't be like drinking salt water where it just makes us thirsty and we'll never have enough. But is there someone or something that in worshipping we might find life? Well, let's turn to our passage. Our passage opens with really uh, praise to God and then it starts with the negative. We're not to worship. We're not to find your security and place your trust. Verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. And then here's the negative. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. And some of you are thinking, well, there's, uh, I'm not really in danger, Jamie, of, uh, of trusting our politicians. That's not really what I'm uh, in danger of. And there would be some wisdom in that. Um, But really what the psalmist is saying is this, is don't place your trust, don't place your hope, don't seek to find your security in the influential, in people. And we can do that at work. We can do that at work when there's 
when, when it might be the boss or somebody who for whatever social capital reason has the power and the temptation is this, is just to, to buddy up with them a little bit more. Please them a little bit more. Is, is they kind of receive your attention and your praise just a little bit more. Your security tends to be leaning towards them. And we can do it in social circles, right? Somebody that everybody likes. And, and the temptation is, if I can get close with this person, people will think like that about me. People will then approach me. I won't have to go up and talk to other people. Some of you are just like, I don't want anyone talking to me. And you're the introverts, and that's all right. We love you here. And what the psalmist is saying is, the temptation is to think that the answer and your hope can be found in someone, in the strong. And we can do it in church world. We would be fools to think that we are immune to this. that the church somehow is, and, and for our trust and hope of the church to somehow be built on somebody, a church leader. Because let me tell you what will happen. I'll tell you exactly what the psalm tells you. He will either fail morally or the passing of time will happen. And either way, the result is the same. They're gone just like smoke in the wind. Don't place your hope, don't place your trust in someone, in a person. They cannot hold that weight. They will crumble and fall. You don't have to be coming to this church long before we are going to fail you. And by we, I mean uh, the people here in this church. And I, and I speak as well on behalf uh, of the staff. I haven't got their permission, but I'll see them on Tuesday and we'll see. <laughs> I say maybe come here for six weeks and we will let you down. Don't place your hope in me. Don't place all of your, all of your security and salvation upon me. I speak to too many people who, who have either walked away from church or, or are on the verge of walking away from church and Every almost probably 90 95% of the time, I hear this exact phrase I trusted this person and they let me down, or I trusted this person and they betrayed me. And the passage is saying, You shouldn't place your hope, your salvation, your trust in people. It's good to trust church leaders. It's good to trust your spouse. It's good to trust friends. It's good to trust your boss at work. It's good to trust those people. But don't place your trust, your security, your hope in them. Your salvation isn't to be upon them. Because time will go. And I love what verse 4 says, that when their spirit departs, they return to the ground, and on that very day. It's not like it even lasts the 24 hours. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. 
Ultimately, all of these things cannot save, all of these people cannot save, because all ultimately will end. And so the psalmist turns us to the one who can hold our worship, the one who can save, the one who cannot fail and will never pass. Verses 5 to 6. Blessed are those whose hope, uh, blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Here is the one who can hold your worship. Here is the one who, who can be the object that each morning you wake up and turn your praise to and dedicate your day to. Romans 12.1, that, uh, that we might be living sacrifices, objects of worship. Here is the one who we can do that to and we won't die a million cuts. He is the one who made all the earth, the sea and the mountains, all by his word. He is the one who by his command the caterpillar and the stars give, have life and go. He is the one who can save where other kings fail. He is the one who will not fall to dust or to age. He is the one whose promises are sure and he will never fail. And so the psalmist calls us, lift your praise to him. Lift your voices, your delight, your joys to him. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Notice the contrast. The contrast of uh, human beings who... One moment they die, and in that day their plans come to nothing, and he who is faithful forever. Unwavering. That he is faithful when he says he will never leave you nor forsake you. And this is why the Bible stresses this again and again. God is faithful, he is faithful, he is faithful. Because the temptation will be, particularly in moments of sin or suffering, the temptation will be to think he isn't. And you will need to remind yourself, no, no, God is faithful when he says he has forgiven me, he's forgiven me. When he says he will never leave nor forsake me, it means he will not bail on me. I have a friend that uh, did an assignment on the gospel and, um, and dementia and how those two kind of interact, gospel, dementia and Alzheimer's and things. And here was his conclusion. I, th- I thought, how are you going to go with this? What are you going to do with it? His conclusion, so beautiful. He finished with a question. He says, ultimately, it comes down to this. Will God forget me if I forget him? Not a chance. Isn't that beautiful? Will God forget me if I forget him? Never. 
because he is faithful. He remains faithful. He is the God of Jacob. And that is a bizarre statement uh, that the psalmist calls him. He says, uh, he is the God of Jacob. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob. I don't normally uh, introduce myself as, uh, hi, I'm Jamie, uh, husband to Amy. It's not my usual opener. And the reason is because it's weird. Uh, And so it's strange that uh, the writer here doesn't just say, Blessed are those whose help is in God or in Yahweh. I think the reason is this, because he recognizes him as the God of Jacob because he wants to stress the fact that God is not just the God of the stars, but he is a personal God. He's a personal God. He does not break his promises. And I think the second reason why the psalmist writes it like this is this, because Jacob is an idiot. He is. Read the story again. You'll wonder why I named my son after him. And I, hey, I knew Jacob was an idiot when I named my son Jacob. Jacob is an absolute fool who makes terrible decisions and is incredibly self-absorbed. And here is the point, that God has bound himself to this person, even despite that. And it's the only thing that gives us a chance. Because we're going to do foolish things. We're going to be self-absorbed. We're going to be arrogant and ignorant. And we need to be reminded that God is faithful forever. And he's not just faithful to people who are faithful to him. He is faithful as the God of Jacob. And he brings salvation to Jacob and his people. Verses 7 to 9 We turn to his salvation. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. He frustrates the way of the wicked. See, his salvation comes, he brings salvation to his people, and he does it through rescue. And in fact, in John's gospel, what you get is you get John the Baptist, he's in prison, and he's thinking, this isn't how I imagine God's rescue. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says, who are you? I want to make sure I've got this right, that I'm not in prison for no reason. I'm not about to to lose my head over a mistake. And Jesus responds with these verses. He says, I've come to give food to the hungry, to set the prisoners free, to give sight to the blind 
to watch over the foreigner. See, Jesus echoes, echoes Psalm 146, echoes Isaiah 61. It says, this is, this is why I've come. I've come to bring about salvation. I've come to set the prisoners free. I've come to give sight to the blind. But I'm not going to do it like the kings of this earth through strength. As the story goes on, you see that God's salvation, where we think it should come through strength and might, it comes through weakness and shame. One of my new favourite songs, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree, in the place of ruined sinners, hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption, see the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. You see, it's through the cross that God turns our mockery to praise. It's through the cross that that our ridicule is turned to worship. And he does it through hanging on the cross, the lamb in victory. See, uh, the book of Psalms opens in Psalm 1 and 2 with this is what life should be like. And the whole book of Psalms really is, is almost like a, just laying out, it's like a plan of this is what life is like with the highs and the lows, with the joys and the sorrows. But ultimately, the book of Psalms ends with five Psalms all beginning with this, praise the Lord Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And here's the point, that ultimately, in the end, at the end, it will be, there will simply be praise to our great King. That when everything is said and done, there will be worship and only worship. Worship to our great God. Worship to the Lamb that was slain. And so we look forward and now what we do is we kind of gather to kind of give ourselves a little taste of that. So just like a, just a little morsel to make us hungry for that final gathering where we will all be gathered around the throne and we will stand there with tens of thousands, more than the eyes can count, and we will all be singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And here's the beautiful thing. You know what Zechariah says? It says the, that it will be a duet that God sings back to us. If the Word of God creates the entire universe, what will the the singing voice of God do to my heart when I hear it? As we lift our chins and as we sing praise to our great God, 
and we do so now and we will do so for all eternity. And, and the, the point of the book of Psalms and these last five Psalms is this, it will happen. It is sure. More certain than the sun will rise tomorrow will be the praise of the Lord. How about I pray? Lord, we, we long for that day when we will see you face to face, where, where you will welcome us with, with hands with holes in them, where we will stand amongst that number and simply worship you. And yet in this life, Lord, we we worship so many other things. Forgive us. Protect us. Help us to worship you. The one who set us free. Set us free prisoners to our own sin. Blind to who you are. Forgive us. Make us a people of praise, we pray. Amen.